time for Love Talk with the Love Ladies, Kathy and Carrie. Love Talk today with a very special guest about Christmas around the world. Hello, friends, and welcome to Love Talk. You have found the Love Ladies. It is so fantastic to be with you today, and a big thank you to our producer, Gavin. He just makes this so wonderful. He covers up all our mistakes and keeps us on track with our time. Thank you to Gavin, and welcome, Kathy. Great to have you today. Great to be with you today, Carrie. I just love today's program, and just happy early Merry Christmas, friends. It's a beautiful time in Texas, and God is working as we lead with we lead and live with love across uh, Texas and across the nation and around the world. And we're going to be doing uh, a special program today, focusing on Christmas around the world. We have an incredible guest in studio with us to talk about uh, how people do Christmas in other parts parts of the world. And I'll tell you, the message of Christmas is God's faithful love. And that is for you. That is for me. That is for everyone. We're reminded at Christmas. I love this scripture in Isaiah. It says, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's a reassurance, friends. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I tell you, God knew that I needed a Wonderful Counselor. He knew we needed a Wonderful Counselor. He knew we needed an Everlasting Father who would never leave us or abandon us. He knew we needed someone mighty who could fight our battles and save us. And he knew we needed a Prince of Peace. Friends, who needs a Prince of Peace right now? Mm. I need that peace to just cover my heart and mind. And I'm thankful that peace will cover our heart and mind in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, God does not hold back. Carrie, this is something that I've been learning so much all year long, that he doesn't hold back. He doesn't give in small measure, but he has richly supplied all of our needs in Jesus Christ. And I think not only our needs, but the needs of a desperately lost world. And so we're going to talk about Christmas around the world. We have this amazing guest for you in studio from Romania today. So talk about the other the other side of the planet. Um, we're going to find out what Christmas today in Romania is like and what Christmas years ago in a communist Romania was like. Friends, Carrie, can you even imagine what celebrating Christmas would be like if Chris- Christianity were illegal. And when I was preparing for this program, I was looking at what basic persecution is right now globally. And today, one in eight Christians worldwide face persecution. Mm-hmm. And this is the highest level of persecution in the history of the Christian faith. And yet today in the United States, we have the privilege of enjoying religious liberty. We can openly celebrate the birth of Christ and share that celebration with our neighbors this Christmas. Carrie, that is really great news. That is really great news. And I just, Kathy, I I don't think that we as Americans really understand um, what it's like to not be able to worship as we please. We, we just, we, we literally do not know what we do not know. And so I'm excited about today to, um, to, to get some insight into the communist regime and what it was like to not be able to worship. Um, I have some former players that are missionaries in East Asia. They've actually been on our program before and they gave us a little insight about what it's like to share Jesus in a place uh, where you're not supposed to be sharing Jesus. Um, I actually had a player from Croatia long, long time ago, 25 years ago. Um, and man, her homeland was in turmoil. Um, just didn't know uh, what she was going to see that was turned to rubble from day to day. Uh, so I, I'm I'm so excited to hear this this story and for us to get some perspective as Americans about um, just the blessings that we have here in this amazing nation. Uh, Christmas around the world. Boy, I, we were talking about Christmas. Kathy, it's December. <laughs> oh, my stars. I know everyone's so ready for 2020 to be over. Like, what, what a crazy, crazy year. Um, 
But as I look back, I, I know there's been blessings upon blessings amongst the chaos and amongst the things that have gone on. Um, and so I'm super thankful for all of those things. Well, Kathy, um, as we look forward to Christmas, I tell you, I know that you guys put up your Christmas decorations this week, and so did we, but ours looked different this year. I decided I was just going to chill out and not try to control everything. Um, our pastor preached this <laughs> okay. sermon. Our pastor preached this sermon this past week. It was about things to take a break from, and it was so fantastic. And I felt like I, I looked at my kids during the sermon, and I was like, is he talking directly to me? <laughs> my kids were laughing because one of the points was, like, take a break from trying to control absolutely everything. And my kids were cracking up. And so they actually had their respective boy. Kenzie had her boyfriend over. Logan had his girlfriend over. And they all helped decorate. And it was odd. It was oddly fun. You know, I mean, as the kids get older, things just change, right? And so, so that was fun. I got to admit, I had an absolute blast. It was a good time for all. Um, and looking forward to a special trip with my family and my mom coming up soon. Um, if y'all will remember listening friends back earlier this year, my daughter and I were training for a half marathon and we were supposed to run it at Disney World. Well, of course, that all got blown up by the COVIDs. And, uh, so our trip has been rescheduled for just two weeks from now. So I'm super excited for that and we are looking forward to that. Now, Kathy, our listening friends know about the big bucket of gratefulness that we did at Thanksgiving. You've decided to do a Christmas cheer jar, right? You know, uh, Carrie, it was actually Faithy's idea. So at Thanksgiving, we were going through our thankfulness jar and we were pulling out and reading all the different things that we had put in there across the month of November that we were thankful for. And at the end, Faithy was like, this was awesome. I want to do this for Christmas. This was so good. And mm. so we thought, well, you can't really do thankfulness jar at Christmas. I don't like, let's change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing a Christmas cheer jar. Excellent. And, and so we're focusing on how we experience Christ's love at Christmas. And so not just receiving, but also giving. So how are we receiving God's love through Christ in all of these things that we do, that we engage in, in his word? And then how do we show um, then God's love to others at Christmas? And so we're going to kind of try and be creative and, and put stuff in there and just have some fun with it. And then on Christmas morning, uh, get to see all the gifts that God has given us throughout the month that maybe in previous years we never stopped to realize. That is awesome. We, we might need to start that. I, <laughs> I really, because we loved our big bucket of gratefulness and that was something that was super fun for us and just reflective. Uh, so I, I like this, the Christmas cheer jar. Okay. I have to, <laughs> I, have to I have to present that to the, to the teens and the hubby tonight, see what they think. Um, well, Kathy, I, I think it's time to introduce our guest, um, and I would love for you to do that in studio today with me. I have just a, a wonderful person that you guys are going to love to meet, listening friends. Well, and and let me tell you, um, I could literally introduce uh, our guest for about 30 minutes right. if I were to do a proper introduction. I know. So I know. I've really had to scale this down. All right. Well, well I just want to share you with him, uh, uh, friends. So, Today in studio, we have Dr. Sebastian Veduva. Now, he was born in 1976 in a family of six children in communist Romania. So under this communist dictatorship, evangelical Christians were openly persecuted with church buildings being torn down and Christian leaders being imprisoned for their faith. Can you imagine that, friends? Sebastian grew up in the city of Oradea, which experienced a spiritual revival in the early 1970s amidst this communist regime. Oradea, interestingly enough, is now home to one of the largest or to the largest evangelical church in all of continental Europe. It is Emmanuel Baptist Church. Now, with the fall of communism, in 1989, an underground school, which had been set up to change to train church workers in secret, was brought above ground and became Emmanuel University of Oradea. And it is one of the few European evangelical universities to actually be accredited by the government in the continent of Europe. Now, Sebastian's family left Romania right before the revolution in 89 and settled in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. Three months after 
after they arrived in the United States, their father abandoned uh, abandoned the family. And so Sebastian and his brothers had to start working to support themselves. But Sebastian entered a period of rebellion against Christianity and uh, his native country, Romania. Friends, I think a lot of us have, have been there. Sometimes, you know, our stories, just like in the Bible, are filled with such interesting twists and turns, and God never gives up on us. And, of course, God never abandoned or gave up on Sebastian. And in um, an ABC television program called The Shame of a Nation, God called Sebastian back to his Christian faith and to the Romanian community. Sebastian now is director of the Griffith School of Management and IT at Emmanuel University of Oradea in Romania. He does a weekly radio program on the radio voice of the gospel and makes regular appearances on Credo TV, which is the the Romanian Christian television program. So you can always Google that um, if you want to see today what our guest looks like. Um, He's the managing director of Advanced Solutions and International Training and consulting firm predominantly in Romanian um, IT sector. He has an MBA and not one but two PhDs. And in 2004, he was recruited by the Fulbright Commission as an international MBA program director. And he's been a visiting professor at several U.S. universities. And friends, he, we get to have him on the program because he is visiting in the United States for six months. It's such a privilege to have him with us today. Uh, welcome, Dr. Sebastian Veduva. Thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I got to tell you, listening friends, um, uh, Sebastian is so humble and so kind already. Just a, a, a light right here. Now, Sebastian, I, I've got to ask you, you know, you you leave communist Romania and you move to America. And obviously that took some planning by your father and mm-hmm. your mother. And you moved to Ohio. And three months later, your dad, as the teens would say, pieces out like he's <laughs> gone. Yep. And so where do you fit in the pecking order with your siblings? I'm number five. So okay. there's, there's four older than me and then one younger than me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And are, are you guys all boys and girls in there? There's three boys and three girls. Okay. And by the time we came to America, the girls were already married. So oh, okay. there was just the three boys left that our father abandoned. So the girls were already married. We're sort of the butterfly family, three girls mm-hmm. that are older, and they were married by 1988. I think the last girl got married. Okay. And then we boys, kind of like the young ones, stayed behind, and we experienced the whole American experience. Oh, wow. You're 12 years old, and your dad leaves. Uh, what does that do to you as a little boy? Well, you know, it terrifies you. And, and it, it was so interesting because so here you are, you're born in communist Romania. It's yeah. dark, it's gray, you're persecuted. Uh, and then all of a sudden you have a, a ray of hope. You're going to go to America. And America is just unbelievable from a from a promising perspective. You know, mm-hmm. there's lights, there's abundance, there's all these wonderful things. And you do make it here. And I'll never forget it. You know, April 26, 1989, when we arrived mm-hmm. from this gray nation into this nice, luminous nation. We landed in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just unbelievable, you know. And we literally thought we entered the promised land. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, our father left us. Uh, you know, such a mm-hmm. letdown. It was just such a disappointment. Uh, you know, and, and, and in your heart as a 12-year-old, you're thinking, you know, where is God? You know, if, if God exists, why would he allow such an evil thing to happen? Uh, and if he exists and he's the God of the Bible, he could have prevented this. He could have stopped, you know. Uh, and, and you have all those kinds of questions that, that come into your mind and into your heart. Uh, and, you know, it is difficult. The, the disappointment, especially for a teenage boy, is very, very difficult mm-hmm. just, to, just to undergo. I bet. I bet. And you and your brothers just probably had to scramble and say, okay, how can we how can we help mom? Right. Uh, right. I mean, because we're in a new land. We, yep. We've got to figure this out. Well, that, that's what made it so interesting because we didn't speak the language, you know. <sighs> so, you know, you couldn't speak any uh, English. My mom couldn't speak. To this day, she cannot speak English very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, especially me, I sort of reversed roles with her all of a sudden, I'm the person calling, you know, the electrical company. I'm mm-hmm. calling the water company. I'm enrolling my brothers into school, wow. uh, you know, not knowing English myself. But, you know, you, you sort of have to do it. And then came the work part, you know, how are we going to survive? Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember I just walked all around our neighborhood for hours asking for anybody if they would give me a job, uh, you know, be willing to do whatever. And I literally did just about anything. You know, I did landscaping. I, you know, cleaned around the house. And 
I, I was extremely fortunate, and this is one of the things that I, I always appreciate about my adopted land of America. People were so open, and you know, they said, "Hey, if you're willing to work, we're going to give you a chance." Uh, mm-hmm. And I've had I've had so many blessings of these type of individuals that sort of adopted me. Uh, you know, I'll never forget my my first boss that gave me a job. You know, I was 13 at the time. Uh, it was at a meat shop, and he said, "Okay, you don't speak English, not a problem. I need somebody to sort of clean up here, and I'm willing to pay you. You know, three dollars and eighty cents an hour." Yes, which was a fortune for me. It was a fortune. Yeah. It was a fortune for me. So, so here we are, and I, I never forget it. You know, we we went for for our, our first uh, uh, for our, our first uh, Burger King dinner to celebrate. You know, this great job that I got. Oh my goodness, friends! When we return to Love Talk, we'll hear more from Dr. Sebastian Vaduva and get into Christmas around the world. What that looks like in another nation that is persecuted. For worshiping Jesus Christ when we return to Love Talk right after this. And welcome back, friends, to Love Talk in studio today. I'm Kathy Endebrock, and I'm with Coach Carrie Brinkater and our incredible guest today, Dr. Sebastian Vaduva from Romania. And we're talking about Christmas around the world. And Sebastian grew up in uh, communist Romania. And we're going to learn, we're going to hear a little bit about what that was like. Now, friends, I tell you, if you missed our first segment, You're going to want to go back and listen to that to hear uh, some of the trials and tribulations uh, that Sebastian and his family experienced when they first came to the United States, Uh, embraced by Americans, uh, but abandoned by his father, who also, I imagine, must have been incredibly overwhelmed in a new country, not speaking the language and um, with so many challenges in front of him. So it's just incredible to hear how Sebastian and his brothers picked up the pieces and uh, started stepping in and making things happen for their family. Now, Sebastian, there's so much that I want to talk about today, so I'm going to put a, a, a pin in, in that right now. I want to ask you, and this is something I'm incredibly interested in as well uh, that we always share with our listening friends can you can you share with us how you came to know that Jesus loves you yeah that that's a very good question and uh, again I, I grew up in a Christian family uh, my father was a backslidden Christian uh, but my mother was and is a deeply devoted Christian so uh, she always took us to church so even though we were in persecuted Romania and being a Christian was illegal I mean we were ridiculed at, at school and you know uh, made fun of by the teachers by the the, the, the colleagues uh, but my mother my mother was the rock you know, she was the steadfast uh, example. So I, I guess, uh, and I'm sorry I'm tearing up, I, I guess I came to know the Lord because of my mother. Uh, I mean, I saw her example. I saw her dedication uh, and just her optimism. I mean, that was the one thing that always drew me to Christianity is the joy. Uh, and in spite of the things that were happening around, I mean, again, uh, my mom had a hard life because she was living in, in this dark place called Romania where, you know, food was limited, uh, heating was limited and everything else. And also because she had a, a, a husband who was uh, really a, a backslidden Christian, yet she maintained her optimism. Uh, and I said, I want that. I, I want that power that surpasses all understanding. And I want to have the ability to face the life setbacks regardless. Uh, and I knew that Jesus could give me that. And from an early on, I knew that Jesus was the way forward. And it was uh, the power of the Holy Spirit that can help you go through life. Wow. <clears throat> now, I have, a, I have a question for you then. When you came to the United States and your father abandoned you and you, you were talking in the first segment um, and, and friends at 9 a.m. today, you can you can get that first segment in our archives at lovetalknetwork.com. But Sebastian, you were walking around the neighborhood and you were just basically asking people what you could do for work. And you said that there was a period of time when you rejected God. You thought, how could he let this happen right. to us? How could he let my father um, abandon us and walk away? Um, but God did not abandon you. How did he get your attention? Well, he, he got my attention, you know, through, through people that were not necessarily Christians. So obviously there was the, the Cleveland uh, Romanian Baptist Church that reached out to us during this period of time and, and helped us as much as they could. But again, they themselves were in our church of immigrants. But then there were these other people, you know, the, these angels that came into my life that gave me work, you know. And I was so impressed by people who, you know, would pay me to shovel their, their driveways. Remember, this is Ohio. <laughs> 
uh, or, or, or cut their grass. Uh, and I, I had this policy where I would walk on people's doors, uh, would knock on people's door and say, you know, I see your yard needs some mowing. You know, would you like me to cut it for you? And obviously they would ask me, well, how much do you charge? Uh, and initially I said, you know, some prices, but then I said, whatever you feel is worth it. So I'm going to go ahead and cut your grass and I'm going to, uh, you know, shovel your snow and you pay me whatever you think is worth it. And people always amaze me. I mean, I love that. And to this day, I'm so uh, uh, impressed by this American spirit of, of uh, rewarding hard work and, and surpassing expectations. I mean, I would expect people to give me $5 for uh, uh, shoveling of a driveway, and they would give me $20. Uh, mm. and, and I really saw God's hand behind it. I said, you know, God is taking care of me. Although my, my earthly father has abandoned me, here is God who, who is rewarding me and is making sure that we have food on the table and then we have all these opportunities. So really, I sense God every step of the way. Now, I didn't agree with God's plan for my life, and I, I'm still angry at him for, you know, uh, allowing my father to abandon us and for us to live in poverty, you know, in the inner city of Cleveland. Yet I always, I was always conscious. Uh, plus, I had my mom next to me who always reminded me and said, Sebastian, God hasn't abandoned us. Uh, regardless of what you think of your father, regardless of what you see around you, there is a God. He has a plan. And now that I look at it, you know, 30 years later, it was definitely God's plan. I mean, that that was my training ground for the time that I would return back to Romania and I would be a professor and mentor and teach other uh, young men and women who were going through similar experiences. He was really training me back in the 1990s, you know, for what was to come. Uh, and th- that's that's the great thing about God's economy. He doesn't waste anything. He has a plan and a purpose for everything. And that's really what gives you the, the joy and the, and the optimism. Wow. So I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I wish you could grab every single teenager in America right now and just, um, tell them your story of hard work. And that was the beginning of your business training right there, Sebastian, That's right? right? That's, right. That's um, right. Visiting professor right now at Concordia University here in Austin in the business department. Um, you have several roles there, administration, fundraising, as well as teaching. And so I know God God was preparing you as a young 12, 13-year-old young man. Well, okay, so let's talk about before you came to America, you're, you keep describing Romania as dark right. and gray. And, you know, in my head, that's how I see it. Right. Right? And maybe that's from pictures. And I mean, I guess just people living in poverty right, and right. things being very scarce and, and, and controlled. Right. You really didn't have a whole lot of control over what your life was going to turn out like. Um, So Christiana was illegal. You were made fun of at school. You were made fun of in your neighborhood. Did you guys celebrate Christmas? We we did. Uh, And and again, to to keep in mind, before communism, Romania was a very religious nation. So orthodoxy was there. So there was the remnant of that. You know, the the communists weren't able to bulldoze every single church. And Mm -hmm. uh, the social conscience of the people still was there, you know. So people illegally, you know, were celebrating Christmas. And uh, my wife is a musician and and a music professor. And she tells me about composers who would weave in Christian songs into compositions that would glorify the communist uh. government, you know, <laughs> sort of like like hidden things like that. And, you know, we weren't allowed to go caroling, yet we were allowed to have like a winter fest and all the fit with the winter a fest. Winter fest. Oh, yes. yes. Uh-huh. And, we, you know, all the winter fest uh, really had carols hidden in there. And, and there were there were people of good faith, even within leadership positions in, in communist Romania that said, well, you know, we don't want to forgo our Christian heritage. Although, uh, you know, the, the overall agenda of the Communist Party was to stamp it all out it was there so you know we were celebrating christmas i mean we knew it was christmas we we knew of the christian holidays just that the 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 communist government had a very weird way of stumping it out so for instance they would make work mandatory on christmas day you know, so all factories were open and all people had to report for work. Wow. Uh, and, and, and the thing that, that I think our listeners need, need to understand is that communist Romania was sort of a very interesting mixture of huge hypocrisy, mm-hmm. okay, and then darkness, you know, mm-hmm. uh, poverty. So the hypocrisy was the communist government just sort of shouting out propaganda, you know, mm-hmm. talking about this is the golden age, this is the best thing that ever happened to humanity. You know, we are creating a, a, a new society and this society is going to have plenty 
opportunity for everybody. So you had all this propaganda going on. And then you had the reality. The reality were shortages of food. I mean, I remember as a little kid sitting in lines for milk, for bread. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't have heat during the winters. I mean, we would sleep fully dressed. There was no electricity for hours on end because, you know, the government was trying to, to save uh, energy and things like that. And all that was sort of like, well, this is short term in the name of the glory of uh, of building this new society, you know. And and that was the interesting thing about this this hypocrisy. You know, on one end, you saw the reality, the, the poverty. On the other hand, you kept hearing this propaganda, sort of like what's going on in North Korea now. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear all these messages that, you know, this is the place, best place to work, uh, to live on Earth, uh, when in a sense, it, it's really a, a very back, backwater society. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that is really um, uh, striking fear into the hearts of so many Americans today right. is because we can see now that where, I mean, you know, journalism has always kind of tipped towards uh, liberalism, but it's never been to the extreme where, you know, news stories would actually get suppressed and, and cut and then they would highlight certain things and the truth would get twisted so much even in, in mainstream media that you just think, you know, well, that that is not an objective evaluation. That is, you know, and journalists start to see it as their job and actually proclaim that, you know, their job is to um, further their cause right. and, you know, that objective journalism isn't necessarily the standard anymore. And so I'm so grateful for all of these other news outlets that are kind of popping up that social media and the Internet are really making possible so that we can start to get um, a more objective pers- perspe- perspective on things. But it is it is kind of been a um, a very weird thing to experience personally, seeing mainstream media almost become like a propaganda machine yep. mm-hmm. for the left. Right. And yet so many people don't don't recognize it at right. all. They just right. think whatever they say, that's what they're going to swallow whole and they won't take a step back and go, you know, that doesn't quite line up with some of the facts that I'm I can actually observe for myself. Right. So I can't I can't imagine what that must have felt like going through that and having all the media telling you one thing that it's a golden age and, and you experiencing thinking doesn't feel very golden to me when I'm shivering in my bed with all my clothes on tonight you know this doesn't feel very golden oh yeah Yeah. so are you experiencing that with our young people today Sebastian um you know we see even kids who've grown up in Christian homes and you know they're professing to be Christians yet they're hey well you know this socialism doesn't sound too bad you know are you experiencing I, that I have at to the tell university? you I have to tell you a story we're not experiencing it in Romania quite that bad but I am seeing it in America yes. and one of the worst experiences that I've had this is somebody close to me uh, his father who's older than me escaped Romania during communism to sort of get away from communism and he came to America he's you know he has a good living for for his life and his son went to college uh, a very elite school his father paid a lot of money and you know four years later he came home and he declared himself a communist you know uh and and i was part of this conversation between the father who had tears in his eyes who said look i lived under communism i know what's it like and the son who was talking about the glories of socialism of uh you know how wonderful it would be if the government would take care of this how wonderful it would be if this would happen and that would happen and and what i am seeing now and this is going to sound horrible and i apologize uh, apologize in advance i'm seeing america today resembling Romania for 30 years ago, you know? And and I think that the starting point is this very idealistic picture, you know, like somewhere down the line, there's going to be this paradise. And typically what it is, it's it's an idealized picture without God. You know, it, it's the same story that we saw in the Bible, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar, we saw, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Tower of Babel. We're going to build paradise on earth as long as we can escape God, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and people promising, pie in the sky, you know, we're going to do this, 
We're going to do that, and life is going to be wonderful, and there's not going to be any more injustice, and there's not going to be any more in, uh, poverty. And these were the exact slogans that I heard growing up as a kid. I mean, this is what communism was about. This is why communism was so popular. Uh, Americans forget that two-thirds of the world population embraced communism, you know. And early on, people were your heart and supporter of it and say, wow, this sounds excellent. Can you please bring paradise on earth? And then years later, they realize that the system doesn't function. They need to have a, a secret police. They, you need to put people in prison. Then any dissidents that say otherwise, you know, they need to disappear uh, because they're going to call to account this uh, this very hypocritical system. And, and this, from my perspective, this is the number one thing that young Americans don't realize is the hypocrisy behind it, that this system doesn't work. It, it never worked anywhere. Anywhere where socialism was tried, it didn't work. It's always it failed. always failed. And the second part that I think is very important is that the, the free market economy that we have, capitalism, is not a perfect system. You know, it's got shortcomings. So I, I think that one of the ways, especially the young people that, that sort of buy into this lie is because they are being promised uh, paradise on earth. There, there's no such a thing. I, I don't think paradise on earth is possible. Uh, so we just have to go with excellency. We just have to go with good enough. And this is what the United States of America achieved in the Past, you know, we, we achieved a good enough society. It was never perfect. It always had flaws. And people were always looking to improve it. But if you let yourself go with this uh, idealized version, this perfect uh, thinking that we're going to create heaven on earth... It's not possible. That, that's, that's an evil idealism. You know, we're going to bring heaven on earth and everybody's going to be okay. No, no, no. Uh, if we could bring heaven on earth, then we wouldn't want to go to heaven. Uh, as, Christ, right. as Christians, we are longing for heaven because we know that this earth is full of sin and it's full of trials and tribulations. And this is not where paradise is. This is not our final home. Our home is somewhere else. Man, I could sit here and talk economics with you all day. When I was in high school, I used to go around and do these speeches for money. Mm. Uh, it was about the 10 pillars of economics. And one of those pillars was there's no such thing as a free lunch. Right. 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 And uh, growing up, I was like, what? what, is that? what is that? But the more research I did, um, you know, that's exactly what socialism is, you right. know, promising a free lunch. There's no such thing as a free lunch. It's exactly. got to come from somewhere. So exactly. anyway, let's let's get back to the topic at hand, Christmas around the world. Right. But I think that gives us perspective, right? right. Um, and, well, and, and, go ahead, Kathy. I, I, have, I have a question because I was reading this, a news article in Christianity Today, and it was about when the Reverend Billy Graham traveled to Romania in a 1985. Right. And so Romania was still in the throat of communism and Reverend Graham spoke to a crowd, um, one crowd in particular of 150,000 that were gathered to hear him. And now this article in Christianity Today kind of pointed towards this um, this time when, when um, Reverend Graham went out there as kind of a turning point within the Protestant um, church, that these church united together and that the uprising of the church led to the eventual arrest and removal of the dictator uh, Nicolae, I don't know how you say his name, Cusescu in 1989. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I have a couple questions. One, did you were you there to hear Reverend Billy Graham um, at this um, talk that he gave in 1985? And was this really a turning point or um, was it was it the unity in the church that God was already bringing about with or without that catalyst? Or, right. you know, was it even a catalyst? I mean, what was the turning point? And was it truly the unity of the church that was able to, you know, get protest to you know, end communism right, within that nation. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for the church, I don't think communism would have collapsed in, in Romania, or at least it wouldn't collapse the way it did. Uh, yes, I do remember when Dr. Graham visited. I was nine years old. Uh, mm. He spoke at several places. I was not in Bucharest, the capital city where, where the big gathering was, but he did speak at our church, at, at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And I remember, I mean, we had to remove every single seat from the auditorium, and it was standing room only. Uh, and there were people outside of the church, 
mention that, you know, they put out speakers and everything else. So, so certainly his visit to Romania uh, was a huge contribution to just uniting the churches and, and giving the church a voice. Because up until the 1970s, when the revival came, uh, you know, the, the evangelical Christians were scared. I mean, they were dwindling in numbers and uh, being persecuted and imprisoned. They, they didn't have the courage to stand up. But then in the 70s, and I think that by, by the time Dr. Graham visited us, uh, you know, that was I mean, the community was ready for something. And the interesting thing, if you study the revolutions of 1989 in, in Eastern Europe, Poland was the first one in February and Romania was the last one in December. And just about every country had some sort of a revolution. However, the Romanian revolution had a very uh, significant Christian component to it. So I remember when Dr. Grutz, the pastor of our church, was asked to come out and speak. You know, people thought he was going to speak against communism and, and so on and so forth. So what he said, he said, well, instead of me saying, how about we all pray? And he prayed the Lord's Prayer. I mean, this is like in public square in the city of Oradia. So there's like tens of thousands of people who kneeled. I mean, this was in December, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look on footage, even now, you know, you, you can look it up. The, the chant of the Romanian Revolution wasn't really down with the dictatorship, down with communism, although they were chanting that. The chant was, there is a God. There is a God. And it was wow. the only uh, revolution from Eastern Europe who had a significant uh, spiritual component. And, and I, I, uh, I uh, strongly believe that it was, it was God behind it all, bringing the freedom, using the people that, that had the courage, that were able to stand up. Uh, a few, few weeks before the, the revolution, there were a number of pastors from Romania that signed an open letter to Ceausescu, the dictator. Uh, and some of them I, I know very well, and, and they were telling me, hey, it was like signing our death warrant. Mm-hmm. This was like the Declaration of Independence. I mean, we signed this letter calling the dictator uh, for all the evil things that he's doing, and we know that there's a chance we're all going to go to jail and possibly even die. And mm-hmm. and their belief is that he actually read that letter, and it was a re- letter that called him to repentance, and that he hardened his heart, uh, and because of that, God removed him. Uh, and keep in mind, he was executed on Christmas Day. What? So he was shot in 1989 on Christmas Day. Um, so, so there was definitely a component, and, and that's why for us now, Christmas in Romania has just a special meaning, because we don't only celebrate the revolution, uh, the, the Christmas, but we also celebrate the revolution. The revolution started in December 20th, and it culminated in December 25th. Uh, so we have a double celebration now in Romania. We, we certainly celebrate Christmas and we love it. You know, now celebrating in Christmas uh, uh, in, in the freedom. But then there's also we celebrate the freedom. It's it's almost like uh, you know the Israelites uh, celebrating them leaving Israel. That's kind of like the the sense that it is now because Ceausescu was executed on Christmas Day, 1989, uh, and, and you know the evil of communism was gotten rid of on Christmas Day, which I don't think was a coincidence. Wow. I, so, I mean, that is so inspiring for me. I know we only have about uh, four minutes left in this segment. I, I want to ask you this question because Jesus intended for his church to influence culture. And right. I, I just love what history in Romania has, has shown us. In the United States right now, it seems like culture is influencing the church in America. Right. And, and where some of the church has stood firm, um, some of the church has not, and it's ended in a, in a divided church. Can you just um, maybe give some of your insight and wis- wisdom, Sebastian, that what can we do as a church this Christmas season to step out of our routine, you know, everyday Christmas that maybe we've celebrated for the last 20 years and actually step up our life for Christ at Christmas? Wow, that, that that's a loaded question. <laughs> question for two minutes. And, and yeah. I, cer- I certainly don't want to get into trouble, but I, I, I think that the, the big temptation that the church always had was to be more materialistic than spiritual, you know, to focus more on the building, to focus more on the programs, to focus more on whatever, and not focus on the spiritual part. Because it's easier to focus on the on the outers. You know, let's have a good Christmas program. Let's dress up nicely. Rather than let's make sure that we have Christ character in us. So I, I think that what the church needs to have 
primarily is the working of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, to have love, to have joy, to have peace. Those are the things that differentiate us from the world. It is those things that set us apart. Uh, you know, We are holy not because we have a building, not because we worship in a certain way or we go to church at 9 a.m. in the morning, although those are wonderful things. I am not against building and, and attending church services and you know doing concerts and things like that. But I think there is a tendency to put too much emphasis on the external, the material. Uh, the temptation, and I'm seeing it now in Romania, is for the church to become sort of a, a club, uh, you know, where we gather up and we talk and we share ideas, and not necessarily a place where people grow their Christian character, where people hold each other accountable, where people look at them and say, hey, how is your walk with the Lord? How is your uh, relationship with the family? Uh, and, and where I'm seeing a huge area, and this is kind of like a, a symptom, is just the way we are able to attract our kids, you know, Be, because as a church, we're called to reach out to the world. So the world is supposed to look at us and come to us and say, wow, we too want to be Christians. We we want to have what we, you have. And unfortunately, I see many churches that cannot even keep their own kids. Their own kids are looking at what's going on in the church. They're looking at what's going on in their family and saying, you know what? If this is what Christianity is about, I'm out of here. Uh, and and the, the young generation, they don't vote with their mouth. They vote with their feet. They leave. Uh, so I think that what we need to do is get back to genuine Christian living. We need to be identified by the fruits of the Spirit. We need to have those things that surpass all understanding, that peace, that joy. We need to have uh, a, a a wordy walk. We need to uh, communicate. We need to be transparent. We don't. We cannot be hypocritical. So for this Christmas season, you know, if I am to make a, a, a recommendation or or a wish for uh, uh, American Christians and Christians anywhere, is be genuine Christians. Don't concern yourself so much on the externals. Concern yourselves on the internals. Mm. Oh, friends, we just have a little time left with Dr. Sebastian Vaduva. So grateful and thankful. I there's so many things I want to talk about. We've got to take a break and listen to our wonderful sponsors, friends. We're so grateful for the people who sponsor this show each and every week. When we return to Love Talk, a little bit more with Dr. Sebastian Vaduva and Christmas Around the World right after this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to today's Christian Talk. This is Love Talk. I am Coach Carrie Brinkgater. Holy cow, what a great day. We've got to have Sebastian Vaduva back with us on Love Talk after the new year because um, there's so many things I, I want to talk about. I, I was telling Sebastian during the break and Kathy during the break that something that just just spoke to my heart as he was speaking about communist Romania was that in 1985, he cleared a church out of church pews, of church of, of seats, and because there was standing room only in the church and uh, to, to hear Billy Graham and to hear these other pastors. And uh, I, I feel like today, you know, we have so many empty seats in our churches and it breaks my heart. Like my body physically had a reaction when he said it was standing room only. When's the last time we were in a church that was standing room only? Friends, I get it. I know we're in a pandemic, but it is time to take back our churches. It's time to take back our communities for Jesus to to step in and say, you know what? I'm done being lazy. Okay. I know our churches were closed. I get all that. But we, we've got to get back in community with our people and start spreading the gospel again. If on Sunday mornings you're you're going out and, and commuting with your neighbors and having brunch with your neighbors and talking about Jesus, that is fantastic. I love that. Um, feeding one another and feeding feeding our souls with Jesus and feeding one another with Jesus is is so so important. So I, I don't know that just uh, Sebastian that just really spoke to me because I thought, what are we doing? We're just being lazy right now, and I I'm sad about that. And so as we approach Christmas. Christmas here, and as we hear your story of being so grateful and thankful for what you have experienced here in America, in this free society, it just rejuvenates me and gives me hope for our future. I know we have, we've got to invest in our young people, and we have to help them to see what's so amazing about America. Um, but I, I do want to go back to this Christmas thing once again. You use the phrase. Um, Prince of Peace, and and you were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The Prince of Peace came into this world to bring us peace 
with God, right? right? And how is peace with God different from peace with the world? And you have experienced this firsthand. Right, right. Well, peace with God comes primarily because you know your sins are forgiven. You know, every every person who's born into this world uh, has a problem, and the problem is called sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gives a sense of guilt. We know we've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and peace with God means that we're forgiven. When, when we recognize that we have a problem and that we need forgiveness, and we ask Jesus to ask us uh, to forgive us uh, and wash our sins away. Okay. However, I want to go back to this issue of fear, because I think that generally speaking, fear is one of the devil's favorite tools. Okay? Absolutely. And now more more than ever, because you know, now you, you got all this uh, news out there. You got all these people talking about this, this and that. And interestingly, fear is what keeps us from fulfilling our, our uh, destiny. Uh, and the scripture talks about fear being a sin. Uh, and this is very important to remember. And, and Paul writes to the Romans, God didn't give us a, a, a spirit of fear, so we are captive. I mean, it gets to a point where you are captive. You don't do anything because you're so afraid. So when God gives you freedom, when God gives you forgiveness, when you have peace with God, you no longer feel guilty, and you have all the uh, all the freedom in the world. Now, when it comes to our relationship with the world, okay, oftentimes people say, well, we got to be at peace with everybody. Uh, and oftentimes the approach, and I've seen this happening with Christians is where we water down the truth so much, where we find the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not going to judge anybody. And, you know, there's even that bumper sticker, or at least it was when I was living in America, coexist, you know. Yeah. Can we can we get all the religions to get along? You know, let's find the common denominator. In a sense, they're all saying the same thing. No, they're not. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Th- there is objective truth, and there's historical truth, and we know that not all religions are the same, and then there's objective truth. Now, again, we doesn't mean mean that we have to fight with people and doesn't right. mean that we have to call them names but at the same time peace with the world does not mean that we give up on our principles uh, that that we forego the truth that we know in the scripture but we have to articulate it and we have to stand uh, firm by it in a loving manner and we have to communicate it and we have to not be ashamed of it and, and what I'm seeing that is happening right now and I saw this in Romania growing up and I'm seeing it here uh, the people on the other side the non-Christians have such a moral superiority. They make us feel like we're these backward individuals, like we're these, we're these nobodies. Oh, I can't believe you still believe in God. Oh, you still believe in those little fairy tales. Those were the stories that I heard as a little kid when the teachers would come in and they, you know, they had special governmental officials would coming into our grade school and say, well, anybody who believes in religion is just a backward, you know, now we are modern people and now we uh, have discovered scientific truth. And keep in mind, this was the 70s and the 80s. And I'm hearing the same things today in 2020 in U.S. colleges. And I'm, I'm hearing the same thing on American television. You know, if you believe in God, you must be left in the you know 1950s and you haven't really stepped up with the time and nobody believes in God and nobody holds faith and all the societies that have developed have really gave up on religion. And these are just plain old lies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they're plain old lies that, that do not have any kind of historical groundings on them. And I think that as Christians, although we want to be at peace with the world, I think that we have to take a stand and we have to articulate our values and say, yep, peace, but not at any cost. Uh, and, and again, I can give you a countless example from history. You know, what happened in World War II when, when the British went and, you know, they had this appeasement with Hitler. Right. And, and they said, oh, we want peace at any cost. And look what happened. You know, yeah. uh, I see what happened. You know, America did the same thing pretty much with China starting with two, uh, the 20, uh, uh, in the year 2000 when we said we want to appease the Chinese at all costs. And, oh, let's just because uh, they're going to be wonderful people and eventually they'll come around. And it hasn't happened. You know, 20 years later. Later, we're looking at them and like, oh, okay, they, they really haven't embraced our way of, of living and they haven't embraced our values. So appeasement, it, it doesn't work. You know, you, you have to stand your ground. Now, I'm not saying pick a fight with everybody. I'm not saying open a war with everybody. But what I'm saying is do not be afraid to articulate your values. Well, and I, you know, I see that in, in my teens, um, you know, them standing up for what they believe in. And sometimes it's a little abrasive, right? right? Um, Or it could be taken as abrasive. But what glorious things I'm seeing in them to be able to stand up for what they believe in and not apologize, right? right? Now, we we have to learn how to articulate it in a way that's going to be received. But um, I do, 
I do think that is so important. Our backbones right now are like noodles, yeah. you know, like wet noodles. They're just, <laughs> we, we just don't, we, we just give up so easily. And um, it's, it's time to reverse right. that. So if, I, I hear you. If, if, I can, if I make, again, an observation, yes. you know, if I observed the way I was brought up as a little boy, my mom told me very clearly, Sebastian, we are a family of Christians and we're going to be persecuted. Get used to it. You're going to go to school and there's going to be people picking on you. And if you're going to be continuing a Christian and, and as, a, as a, a church boy, they're going to pick on you and they're going to make fun of you. And I think that something happened with Christian parents today that they no longer tell that to their kids. We don't expect to be persecuted. We don't expect to have hostility. Mm-hmm. And when it happens to us, it shocks us. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe that they're persecuting us. Mm-hmm. Hello. Are you reading the Bible? <laughs> Je- Jesus said that this was going to happen. Paul told Timothy, if you are going to walk a righteous life, you're going to be persecuted. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's also an issue of expectations. You know, most of the kids growing up, they expect to fit in. Mm-hmm. And really their purpose is, well, you know, I want to be like them. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. My mom told us very clearly, Sebastian, you're a Christian. You're different. You are not going to be accepted. You're not going to wear the same clothes as they are. You're not going to curse like they are. You're not going to go to the same place. You are Christians. You are holy. You're different. And that was drilled into our minds. And when it did happen, it didn't surprise us. We're like, yeah, sure, no yeah, problem. This yeah, is, that's this is what's supposed to happen that's what's because supposed to... I'm different. Exactly. And, and, and I think that in our church activities, I think that's a passage of scriptures that we've forgotten. And I'm seeing that in, in Romania as well, where, where people have forgotten the fact that it's okay to be persecuted. It's okay for people to, to make fun of us. And, and again, I'm not saying that we need to retaliate in kind. And I think this, is, this has been one of the problems that Christianity has had is that, oh, they're persecuting us. Well, let's start persecuting them and they're saying bad things about us let's say bad things about them no quite the opposite jesus says when they persecute us turn the other cheek uh, when when they say bad things to us you bless them back and they're going to be shocked by you say oh my goodness i can't believe you you're reacting that way but but i do want to go back to this issue of we're being persecuted and it's okay we're supposed to be uh, and i'll go as far and, and you know you, you can edit this out uh, i'll go I'll, I'll go out and say if you're a christian and you've never been persecuted you may want to ask yourself if you really are a Christian. If if nobody any has taken uh, an issue with the way you're living, with your 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 Christian walk, with the fact that you don't do certain things and you do certain things, I I may want to revisit that Christian walk a while because Christianity, genuine Christianity, bothers the darkness. That that's what Jesus said. That that's what John says in in, in uh, John chapter one. The light came into the world, and the world hated it. I mean, they couldn't stand it. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So we're supposed to have that stinging effect on people where people feel uncomfortable around us. If your friends are perfectly comfortable telling dirty jokes around you, you have a problem. Uh, You may not be that salt and light. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's a lot to think about, isn't it, Kathy? That is a lot to think about, you know, and I think that the United States has been such a predominantly Christian nation for so, so many generations that we have been in such the large majority that we haven't faced any sort of discomfort or, or suffering or persecution. And we've kind of gotten lulled into this sleep that, uh, that's for Christians in other parts of the world and not Mm -hmm. for us. And so I think we do have to start standing up and saying, um, we need to step into culture. We need to step into these areas, even if they are uncomfortable, and um, be the light that God has called us to be. And friends, we just want to let you know this Christmas, there is a light, and Amen. his name is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the light of the world. He is mighty God, everlasting Father, wonderful counselor, and Prince of, Prince of Peace. Sebastian Viduva, we have had a wonderful time having you on. Can you just tell us quickly how our friends can get in touch with you? Yes, we're on our website, EmmanuelUniversity.ro, or on LinkedIn, being a a business person. That's a a great tool. So please, I'd love to hear from our friends. Thank you. Friends, thank you so much for joining us on Love Talk. For my co-host, Kathy Enderbrock, I'm Coach Carrie Brinkgater, and we'll see you next time right here on Love Talk.